Welcome back to the next episode of Holly's Been Taken. I'm Richard Price. Let's take a look at Ronnie Stanger, a man serving a 25-year sentence in a Florida prison for the 2008 second-degree murder of his longtime girlfriend, Crystal Morrison, at their home in Summerfield, Florida. Days before the murder, Crystal spoke cryptically over the phone with her sister, Bonnie Kiernan, alluding to an alleged connection with Rodney, the 2000 abduction and murder of 16-year-old Molly Bish in Warren, Massachusetts, and the 1993 murder of Holly Peranian. There have been parallels drawn between the, quote, Holly and Molly cases. After Holly disappeared in August 1993, the family received a large amount of U.S. mail from well-wishers who learned about the case from TV news and local newspapers. Among the pile of letters included one from then 10-year-old Molly expressing her sadness and hope that Holly would make it home safe. Molly's abduction seven years later as she began her shift as a lifeguard at Coleman's Pond in Warren sparked parallels because it was about 20 minutes from where Holly disappeared. Like Holly, Molly was blonde. Three years after Molly's disappearance, investigators, following a tip, discovered the girl's remains buried in the woods on Whiskey Hill in Palmer, Massachusetts, a town close to Brimfield, where Holly was found. The day before Molly's abduction, an eyewitness saw a man in a white sedan in the Coman's Pond parking lot. Some believe that the resulting police sketch bore a resemblance to Stanger. About a year after the Bish disappearance, but two years before her remains were discovered, Stanger and Morrison moved out of their house in nearby Southbridge, Massachusetts, to Florida. After Stanger's arrest for Crystal's death, rumors began to swirl that he fled Massachusetts to avoid questions from authorities about Holly and Molly. Stanger has not been charged with the Peranian or Bish crimes as of this broadcast. Let's start with my Zoom conversation with members of the Peranian family, Carla Jackman, Holly's aunt, and Leah Jolin and Julie Goering, Holly's cousins. As I've said in past episodes, those sensitive to disturbing content should not tune in. There will be details about abduction and murder, which is distressing. This story could be harrowing and haunting to some, so please keep that in mind. It does bring me to Rodney Stanger. This kind of brings sort of a connection with the, the Holly and Molly cases. I was really focused on a couple of news articles, uh, one by Mass Live, I guess it was the Republican, and the other one by the Telegram. This dealt with an interview with Bonnie Kiernan. She was related to Crystal Morrison, who was the woman that was killed by Rodney. Rodney and Crystal had a long-term relationship. And Bonnie Kiernan, about four years after Rodney uh, committed that murder, she went down to Summerfield, Florida to get belongings back from the trailer that were um, crystals. And she found some items that she said she couldn't explain. She found the barrettes and hair ties and scrunchies for little girls. They were not for grown women. So that created a, a whole interesting thing here. People started to wonder if maybe there was some connection with the Molly Bish case at that point and in the Holly Peranian case. Kiernan said they found the girl's hair accessories in a film that showed a blonde girl stripping, then getting her neck snapped. 
and Stanger's wallet, which Kiernan said had photographs of him that bore an uncanny likeness to the sketch of a man that was circulated after the disappearance of Bish 12 years ago from Commons Pond and Warren. In fact, people that I've interviewed when that drawing that was to be connected to the Molly Bish case. It's interesting how we connected with Bonnie Kernan. That's Carla Jackman, Holly's aunt. She connected with us, actually. She reached out to you? Do you, do you know that story, how we, got, how we get to know her? No, tell me. Online bingo or something. Or something like that? Yeah. And um, she ended up talking with one of Leah's um, cousins, right? Yeah. One yeah. of your cousins up in Maine, who lives in Maine. And somehow the... that side. Right, cousin on your dad's side. She was up in Maine and somehow they got talking and she goes, I know, you know, that's somebody in my family. That's my, my cousin's cousin, you know, that's, you should call them. So I think Bonnie reached out and talked to your mom, Leah. And, um, and then Leah reached out to the Bishes because what, what um, Bonnie was saying and um, it all turned out, you know, if, if it wasn't for the, for that random conversation in that bingo room, that, Bonnie wouldn't have connected with um, the Bishes or us. But I remember her saying that um, her sister was talking to her kind of in code before she died, trying to relay information. And she, I believe Bonnie said that he had something to do with both Holly and Molly. Let's elaborate on Carla's talking in code reference. According to local news reports, Kiernan said Morrison shared a cryptic phone conversation before Crystal died in which she asked her sister the name of her pet bird. When Kiernan answered Molly, Morrison whispered, murders. If alarm bells are ringing in your head, you're not alone. But these news stories needed, I believe, additional context. Let's hear from Beverly Ann Raymond, known in August 1993 as Beverly Ann Stanger, Rodney's former sister-in-law. In the months and days before Rodney murdered Crystal, Beverly and her then-husband, David Stanger, also lived in Florida, about 45 minutes from Rodney and Crystal. Four years after the crime, Kiernan, Crystal's sister, traveled from Massachusetts to Florida to collect Crystal's belongings a long delay because of health problems, news reports said. When she got there, she said she found items, including hair accessories, that could only be worn by a girl, which alarmed her because Rodney and Crystal did not have children. A 2012 story in the Worcester Telegram quoted a criminal profiler who said that Stanger exhibited, quote, risk factors for being a serial killer, and that though the profiler couldn't know for sure whether Stanger had killed anyone aside from his girlfriend, he believed that murder was not the first and that the items found could be trophies that killers keep to relive their experiences with the victims. The paper also said former neighbors remembered him as cruel and paranoid, who killed dogs he bred when they did not sell for the prices he wanted. When I read the quote about how Kiernan found girl hair pieces in the Stanger trailer, this was Beverly's reaction. Huh. Well, she was very much loved her daughter, but she must have been doing drugs and had her daughter taken away. Although Crystal and Rodney did not have children together, Crystal did have a child with a prior relationship. So I wonder if 
those weren't things that she was saving from her daughter. Okay. Well, it's just a thought. <laughs> because she did love her daughter. And she would talk about her name was And she would talk. Every time we got together, she'd always mention And see, she couldn't take because Rodney didn't want to live with them. When I met Crystal, she was maybe five. I wanted to also talk about briefly about that period of time when you and David and Rodney and Crystal were living in Florida. And I wonder if you could just tell me about the, your memory of Rodney in the days and weeks before he murdered Crystal. He was paranoid. Oh, always paranoid compared to the way he was when he lived in Massachusetts. Um, it seemed like it got worse and worse. He always had his German Shepherd dogs, which you couldn't enter the property without letting him know you were coming. But he had cameras up and he had barbed wire fence on top of another fence on the property. He was just very paranoid. In your mind, what do you think accounted for a lot of that paranoia? He said it was something to do with an insurance company up north. Some accident, car accident, that the insurance company was after him. And Crystal also in a similar state of mind? Days before, uh, she was murdered, yes. Um, she had said that if we didn't call the uh, FBI, that they would be dead by the morning. That was like three days before the mm. murder. And, and um, the police department was in on it, um, so don't call them. <laughs> and then the next morning, there was no mention of it. Do you think that Crystal and Rodney were having some kind of um, mental health issues at the time? Definitely him. Hers could have been out of fear. I'm not sure. Did you speak to either of them just days before the murder? Yes, that was three days before when they wanted us. I think it was three, three or four days before when they wanted us to call the FBI. At least that's what I remember. Were you surprised when you heard the news about this tragedy? Yes, and I didn't believe it at all that he would do something like that. Yeah. It shocked me because he was always the type that, like, in Massachusetts, if he came over the house... If he had a drink, he wouldn't drive. He always was avoiding, um, you know, he never wanted complications with the police. So he kind of knew to, not to do things like that. Correct. Did you, in the years that you knew Rodney, did you ever get the impression that he was attracted to underage girls? Never. Did, did Rodney have a memory of what he had done to Crystal? No. From what I understand, and, and I'm not sure how I heard it, if it was from David talking to the police. From what I understand, he kept saying to the police when they were interrogating him was, just call Crystal, she'll straighten this all out. So it was like he, his memory, the trauma of this, it completely erased it from his memory. Yes. Do you know, since he was convicted and, and is serving time in prison, if, if his memory has come back? 
I have no idea. Yeah. Um, haven't seen or talked to him um, since he was since he killed Crystal. The Stangers also had a familiarity with the town where Holly disappeared. Beverly and her husband David owned a home on New Boston Road in Sturbridge, a short distance from Holly's abduction. Randy, Rodney and David's brother, had, to put it mildly, a unique knowledge of the woods in Brimfield behind Fybridge Road. Let's talk about August 5th, 1993, when Holly Peranian was abducted in Sturbridge, uh-huh. and you were living on uh, New Boston Road uh, with David at the time. There was uh, a trailer in the back of the property. Correct. It was a camping trailer. Mm-hmm. And Randy lived in the back at, at the time or before? He had moved out a few weeks before that. Okay. Yeah. Days after the Peranian disappearance, Sturbridge police received a tip from a witness who spotted a brown van on the Stanger property on New Boston Road and wondered if it was part of the abduction. But when cops arrived, they discovered the van, purchased to accommodate a large family of foster children, was junked with no tires. David, Rodney, and Randy, they, they, were hunt, they liked to hunt and fish together at times, too? It was mostly hunting. But yes, they would fish sometimes, but it was more hunting, deer hunting. Were there times where they also liked to hunt in Brimfield near Fibridge Road? Yes. So you would say they were familiar with that area? Yes. And you had mentioned about where that Randy was living out in the Brimfield Woods years ago. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Correct. He was hiding um, because he had a warrant for his arrest. And David was bringing, brought him some food out there. And that was probably in 1990. I believe it was before, um, it was in the beginning of me and Dave's relationship. That's how I remember it anyway. And this was the section of the Brimfield Woods where years later, Holly's remains were discovered? I believe so. Do you remember what the warrant was that the police were trying to serve? I don't know what it was. I'm going to guess drug-related, probably. Do you know if eventually that warrant was served? I don't know. And Randy, at that time, you think around 1990, he was living out in the woods or just going there from time to time? No, I think he was living there. But I'm, I, I mean, that's probably why we were bringing him food. Before we continue, here is a call to action. The Peranian family needs your help. If you or someone you know has information surrounding the abduction or homicide of Holly Peranian, no matter how seemingly inconsequential, please contact the Hampton District Attorney's Office in Springfield, Massachusetts. The website is hamptonda.com. You may also call the Massachusetts State Police Detective Unit at 413-505-5946 or the State Police Unresolved Cases Unit at 
627-6583. You can also text the word SOLVE to 274-637 from your cell phone. You can also find all of this info plus links in the podcast episode description. Which brings me to something that really kind of took me by surprise. So this is a news article. This is from the Telegram from December 1989. And it says, an old school bus was a man's castle. 76-year-old lived the life he wanted. This is the story about a man named Theodore Stanger, who lived on an old yellow school bus on a property in Sprint in Brimfield. And he lived alone. And he lived without any heat or hot water or any kind of normal comforts of life. And he died suddenly out there on that bus. According to the chief medical examiner, he died in December 1989 of a heart attack, acute myocardial infarction, and arteriosclerotic coronary artery disease, and also chronic ethanol ingestion. The father of Rodney, Rodney, Randy, and David. At the end, towards the end of the article, it, it read this. Theodore Stanger kept himself warm with a wood-burning stove. Neighbor Marie Shosik recalls seeing smoke rise from the trees across the street from her house on many a cold day and night. Mrs. Shosik said she never understood why Theodore Stanger wanted to live the way he did, but she said he seemed content. And I read that and I thought, where have I heard the name Marie Shosik before? And then I realized someone I interviewed not that long ago I'm walking them up the street to a friend's house because we had um we we had neighbors neighbors that you weren't allowed to walk through their yard, so we had to walk up in the street. And some guy um some guy pulled towards me. I figured to ask for directions. An older guy at the time, I would have said he was about fifty maybe, but he asked me, "Do you want to go to Mc McDonald's?" So I. So, so I, I ran into the neighbor's yard and I just started screaming and and just screaming. Then all, all the neighbors came out and the car just took off. Do you remember anything else about him, uh, what he looked like? That I don't really remember what it looks like, but I remember the car. It looked like an old, um, I would say, from looked like from the 70s and it was a tan car. It was just a four-door sedan. I want to say Dodge, but I'm not sure. And this was on Apple Road? Yes. Okay. It was on Apple Road. This person you heard was an adult now, was 12 years old at the time. He left his home on Apple Road, and as he was walking to his friend's house, somebody had propositioned him um, and was making an attempt, obviously, to abduct him. That was the same spot where Theodore Stanger lived, who was related to Rodney Stanger. What's interesting about that is how that could happen in the same spot. And this attempted abduction was less than 24 hours before Holly was discovered, four miles away. I guess my question is, do you think that that's a coincidence? We know the Theodore Stanger lived and died on the same street where, about four years later, 
a creepy man, propositioned Scott Shosick. Is that a coincidence? Apple Road in Brimfield is a quiet, secluded, semi-rural suburban stretch, not a main street. The fact that the incident happened only one day before hunters found Holly a short distance away is eerie. However, no evidence I see connects this event to the Brainian case. We also know Rodney Stanger is a convicted murderer. We know he was familiar with Sturbridge and the woods in Brimfield because of his relationship with his brothers. But is there a link between him, Holly Peranian, and Molly Bish? My interview with Beverly Raymond, who knew Rodney well back then, raises a few doubts. Rodney, who lived with Crystal the next town over, frequented his brother's Sturbridge home in 1993, but less in the summer, when David worked a seasonal job. She also told me Rodney did not drive a vehicle that matched the pickup truck witnessed by the two teen girls. Regardless, Crystal's violent death is heinous, and she should be with her family and friends today. Rodney belongs behind bars. But my interview with Beverly offers more context to a bloody crime seemingly complicated by mental health issues. Beverly provides a different perspective on Rodney and Crystal we have not heard before. Was Crystal's cryptic phone conversation with her sister a tip about Rodney's involvement with the Holly and Molly cases, or is this a red herring due to the couple's apparent mental stability? I have my doubts after talking to Beverly. And yes, Rodney did resemble the police sketch of the man hanging out in the Warren parking lot the day before Molly disappeared. But drawings can look like a lot of people. And if you're a listener following the Molly Bish case, many of the persons of interest mentioned over the years also look like the drawing. But I, like you, wish for justice for Molly Bish and her family. And last... What about the little girl hair pieces in Stanger's Florida trailer? Beverly offers a plausible explanation. In 2012, investigators told the media they would follow up on every lead. But over 10 years have passed without a development. For now, it is yet another tip that fizzled out. Remember the retired investigators who told the story about the man in the pickup truck who harassed two teen girls yards from and moments before Holly's abduction? I spent considerable time researching and interviewing people surrounding that time. I have a lot to say, none of it revealed before. Here is a sneak peek about the next episode. The man in the truck was served an eviction notice. And it said this, on or about May 17th, 2022, the court document claims that our subject unlawfully touched another individual by placing his hand on the person's back and buttocks and touched the individual inappropriately and without consent. You have also continued to block other residents from entering and or exiting the elevator, making such residents fear for their safety. In the fall, he appeared in a Massachusetts court for a trial to determine if the eviction would stand. I went as a witness. I wanted to see this guy.